Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Brad Dude. Brad Wiffs born in Juliet, Illinois in 1948 and grew up in Buena Vista, California. In 1970, he joined the Peace Corps in Micronesia as a volunteer English teacher and then served as a staff member in both Samoa and Micronesia. Since then, Brad has spent the past 40 years in the field of international development, training, and consulting. Brad has co-authored two books and published three others on the value of personal temperament and its influence on self-awareness, professional relationships, leadership, and productivity. He holds a journalism degree from Northern Illinois University. He currently conducts seminars on temperament and leadership while continuing his writing efforts. As the owner of Brad Dude and Associates, Inc., Brad continues to work and partner with colleagues at Next Level Consulting, the Ascend Development Group, and other organizations to provide consulting and training services to his clients. Brad recently served as co-coordinator of an executive leadership training program for government employees from Micronesia and Polynesia. He is also a principal in, help me with that, DevBiz Experts, is that how you say it? Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A new company that provides services to nonprofits, government, and private sector organizations. Brad lives in New Orleans with his wife, Sue. He has one son and three grandsons. Welcome to the podcast, Brad. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate the introduction. Well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. You know, um, one thing that comes to mind is um, when I was first doing uh, training programs for new volunteers, new Peace Corps volunteers coming to the Marshall Islands. And we would do a three-month training program. We had about 30 participants each time, some a little bit larger than that. This particular one I was thinking of is one where, um, you know, during that training, we do uh, cross-cultural training and language training and also technical training. And and this particular uh, program had about 30 English teachers. And so... We were on the main island for most of that training, but about halfway through, we uh, were able to go to a, what in the Marshall Islands, it's a number of islands, outer islands, mm-hmm. about a one day uh, voyage away by a, kind of a tramp steamer. And we went there and we were hosted by a village and our uh, participants lived with uh, families and improved their language. And we would use their elementary school there as our teaching platform. And we had a great time. Um, and uh, when we ended our uh, two-week stay, uh, we had a big, there was a big farewell party for us, and everybody said goodbye, and flowered lays were given to everyone, and we had to march about uh, a mile uh, to get to the place where we were to pick up our ship, and everybody said goodbye, and our group kind of went through the paths and walked down to the end of that island, mm-hmm. and there was no ship, mm. and We finally got through by a walkie-talkie, and they said there was a trouble with the with the the steamer, could not come, uh, but be there the next day. So we had to camp out that night, uh, and uh, did a little fishing and made fires, and everybody was pretty calm. And uh, I was 
a little concerned that we were going to have a, a, a real problem, uh, especially the next morning when I learned the ship was going to be delayed yet another day. Oh. The group decided, and I was—I offered the, the option to go back to the village. Nobody wanted to do that. They thought it would be awkward mm -hmm. to go back after we said goodbye. And so we ended up on the beach there, uh, kind of camping out. Uh, and our, we had language teachers with us, local uh, folks. We set up uh, training classes right on the beach wow. as we camped out. Uh, we had them uh, had discussion groups on kind of what they took away cross-culturally from their uh, living experience and also from their teaching experience. And so we kind of did some role plays uh, for teaching. And so the teachers had a had a, a way of kind of debriefing that, that experience. And then the, when the ship came on the way back, about halfway to the main island, across our path was about a herd, a pod of about 200 uh, dolphins, kind of uh, in the sun, kind of splashing their way across the, uh, the uh, front of our ship. And uh, everybody had just a great experience. So ended up having a very positive experience when I thought it was, could be a disaster. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what a better place to have some training right there on the beach in the South Pacific. And, you know, I've been to French Polynesia myself, so I know a little bit about, you know, that's a great destination uh, spot, but like, um, you know, it's always known for luxury. Uh, but I was there as a, uh, you know, a student and new teacher. So, you know, kind of backpacking the first time I went there, but yeah, it's great to hear how you all were able to kind of make the best of the situation. <laughs> you Definitely know. not a luxury situation. Uh, yeah. These are very remote atolls that uh, are, you know, they're, it's a developing country, and that's why the Peace Corps was there. And I enjoyed myself there. I was there as a first as a volunteer for three years, and then mm -hmm. as a teacher, and then as a eventually as a staff member there. And so I had about eight years in uh, Micronesia. It was a really enjoyable experience. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me a little bit about some of your books and articles. So um, you wrote Finding Eden, and you told me that's an, an action adventure fiction about migration today. So we'll talk about that one first. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm very excited about that. It's, a, it's a, a novel. It's gotten some good reviews so far. It just came out in March, this last mm -hmm. March. Um, it is about um, migrants. Um, kind of the challenges that migrants face today trying to find a, a safe homeland. Uh, and I kind of used my Micronesian experience and Outer mm -hmm. Island experience to describe an island where, um, you know, it's a it's kind of a, a fantasy in a sense where, um, uh, based on some facts that like in Europe at the time, uh, a few years ago, all the European ports were closed to, to anybody migrating there, especially mm -hmm. asylum seekers. Uh, and so I've got a, a ship full of uh, African and uh, Middle Eastern and South Asian migrants trying to get to Europe, denied entry. And so a, a challenge, do we go to a European port and have to unload into a detention camp that gets people deported uh, and many of them it's life-threatening or do we uh, head out to, to the ocean and uh, we found an island that they could go to at least as a temporary solution. So um, the island that they go to uh, and try to uh, survive there is uh, kind of based on my experience out in the Pacific. Okay, okay. and then 
you also uh, wrote the book uh, quick. I need to be a leader in 30 days. So um, it's uh, to help people who get promoted um, often in the business world. You said people get promoted due to their tech skills, but they tend to micromanage. So what can uh, new leaders learn from reading that book? Well, um, this came up. I was uh, teaching leadership at uh, uh, Goddard Space Flight Center for NASA for uh, about nine years. We had three programs going on there uh, during that time. And what I found, uh, my, my participants were really brilliant people. They were scientists, engineers, and support administrative staff for that, uh, uh, that NASA site. Um, and we found that even though unquestionably they had technical skills and were promoted to team leader or division head, uh, whatever their titles might be, into a management and supervisory role, role, it was because of their technical expertise. They were brilliant and got promoted. Uh, but what they found was that once they were promoted and had responsibility now for overseeing teams of five to 10 to larger numbers, uh, they didn't kind of have a clue about how you're supposed to manage and lead such groups. Um, and so my class, kind of focused on giving them some tools and giving them some practical experiences and uh, talking about followership and um, and giving them some feedback on how they did. And so the book came out of that course. Uh, I was going to do it as kind of a separate course and wrote the book as a complementary to that course, but also making it standalone so that if you couldn't attend a course, you could follow along. And I've got it uh, day by day. Uh, so a, a leadership model, uh, a exercise and some discussion issues to talk with a coach or a, a mentor uh, through every day of 30 days uh, to kind of come out at the end with a uh, being able to kind of hit the ground running. Uh, so that uh, uh, these technical folks don't have to micromanage. You know, the idea about micromanagement is when you all you have is your technical skill, that's what you do. And so over time, when you're a supervisor, your technical skills will diminish. You just can't help it because you're not doing that every day like you once did. And so oftentimes, because you kind of don't know what else to do, you end up looking over the shoulders of your workforce. Uh, and doing it the way you quote used to do it, or you think you know how to do it uh, the best, that gets into, into problems. Nobody likes a micromanager. Nobody wants their boss looking over their uh, their shoulder. So this was uh, this book was an attempt to um, give some guidance into what you can do to kind of prepare yourself when you got that promotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's good that people um, can buy the book aside from the course if their workplace is not conducting a course. And I will put the link in the show notes to your Amazon author page so that people can find where those books are sold. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the training that you provide. So um, as you uh, have mentioned, you worked at the NASA Goddard Flight Center. You've also worked at Langley Research Center and Department of the Interior. Interior. So um, what is some of the training that you give to people in those companies? Uh, Langley is a part of NASA. 
And so, uh, in fact, that's the site of that movie, Hidden Figures, if you remember seeing that, about the ladies who uh, uh, were uh, doing all the calculations for uh, some of the early space flights. Um, uh, I, I did a leadership. Uh, it was kind of a uh, similar course to what I was doing at Goddard. They wanted to try that in Langley uh, as well. So I went down to, there to uh, to do that. And that's when we got into talking about self-awareness a lot and about uh, temperament and how that influences uh, the way uh, a, a leader uh, approaches the whole concept of, of leadership. Um, Department of Interior, that was a, uh, a massive job of, uh, I led a, a, a team of 50 uh, consultants and we did a training needs assessment for the Bureau of Indian Affairs at that time. It was actually the trust, the trusteeship for the uh, uh, Native Americans. And so we sent uh, consultants to a hundred different locations across the states, uh, building uh, or uh, trying to identify uh, the needs of uh, Native American uh, workers who work for the, their tribe or the uh, uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs at the time. So it was very much an educational uh, approach to try to identify some of the key needs they need. And sometimes that was in the financial uh, side, the accounting side, uh, others was in kind of the educational side as well. So, um, so that was a fascinating uh, project. It took several months uh, to, uh, to do that. And we did a, a major report for the Department of Interior and presented that uh, as well. So I've been lucky in my career to do a variety of things from doing, it's all kind of training, educational development in many uh, aspects, but I've been lucky to do it not only in interesting places like the different tribes uh, around the, the country to, uh, to work in, in you know, 30 plus countries around the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it really have a, uh, a broad um, spectrum of uh, just experience in different places. And I wanted to ask you, do you work sometimes with schools and school districts? You said in the uh, pre-chat, you have worked with the Montessori school. What are types of assessments that you do if you go into schools? Um, uh, uh, I haven't done an assessment uh, uh, in a while for, mm -hmm. for them. For Montessori, uh, they were interested in uh, a temperament workshop. Mm -hmm. And that was because some of the research has found that, um, especially problem kids, mm -hmm. uh, 85% or so of people, of students deemed uh, uh, problems, especially elementary school, uh, we found that it's a temperament problem. And so teachers just wanted to be more aware of kind of a model of, uh, of, of temperament so they can kind of better assess their own students and try to provide for them uh, when they're, quote, acting up. Yeah, and it's been a while, I think, since a lot of schools that I know of have done Myers-Briggs assessment. And I think it's usually up to the individual teacher. But you know, even for leaders to think of doing something like that with their staff, um, you know, that would probably show them a lot, especially if they're welcoming a new staff member or yeah. a lot of staff members this year. Well, you know, there are a lot of personality tests. Myers-Briggs is the, is the most famous, uh, or any other DISC and Enneagram and, and a bunch of them. Uh, what I found at uh, NASA when uh, we kind of started doing our uh, model of, of, of temperament was we found that our students, many who had, had our participants, I should say, many who had taken those tests 
personality tests in the past. Couldn't remember kind of what their scores were or what it meant. Uh, and so it wasn't practical uh, mm -hmm. for them. You know, a lot of those the personality tests are 16 boxes. It's hard to remember which of the 16 you are and what it all means. So uh, uh, my colleague uh, at the time, uh, he's since passed away, uh, Jim Harden, and I developed a uh, what we thought was a simpler uh, model uh, that um, was complementary to virtually every other uh, personality type test, but it focused kind of on the part of our personality that gets us in the most trouble. And especially in terms of leadership, gets us uh, sometimes uh, having problems with employees or our followers. And so we had great success with that. And many of the books uh, on my website or uh, that uh, that your readers or listeners can, can uh, find uh, deal with uh, leadership and personality, leadership and temperament. And uh, the model that we developed, um, we just call it the basic elements of temperament. We use earth, air, fire, and water as a way to categorize all of us, knowing that all four of those temperaments are in all of us. Um, and that um, those elements kind of represent life on this planet, earth, air, fire, and water. So it was easier to kind of remember, uh, especially that all four of those are within us. So um, a lot of our workshops in terms of uh, when we do a day of leader of, uh, of temperament, we link it to, uh, to, to leadership and how they interact with uh, their colleagues, their families, mostly their employees and their uh, followers. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. You talked to me um, about the personal temperament in the pre-chat. So uh, define uh, how you view personal temperament and its influence on self-awareness. Uh, well, self-awareness to me is the, the name of the game when it comes to leadership uh, training. Um, and so um, we look at it, you know, temperament, uh, anybody can, you know, Google that and, and look that up. It's that inborn aspect of our personality that influences how we view the world and look at um, the behaviors of others that, that we see. Our model of uh, uh, basic elements, uh, earth, air, fire, and water, basically say that there are four of those um, major types of, of elements of temperament that we're born with, and we all have all four, but they're in a descending order, kind of like a stack of plates, of dinner plates, with the, the one that's most like us, we just call it the dominant temperament. Then there's one that's kind of like us, that's we call a secondary. There's the third is a tertiary, uh, which is kind of when we see that kind of behavior in our followers or our employees, we're kind of neutral, doesn't give us any kind of emotion particularly. And the fourth, uh, the last one, the one that's least like us, we call that our shadow temperament. And that's kind of what distinguishes our model, I think, from MBTI and some of the others. So we focus a lot on the shadow. The shadow temperament, again, is the temperament that is least like us. Whether it's earth, air, fire, water, 
One of those is your is your is your dominant as your uh, shadow temperament, uh, and that typically means that when you see that kind of behavior, whatever that is for you, that's what typically we have a negative reaction to it, and that's what gets us in trouble. I'll give give you an example. Um, so the Earths, they're the more traditional types, people that uh, want to plan everything. A lot, most teachers, I would say, are are probably uh, er, dominant Earth uh, temperaments. They enjoy rules, regulations, a lot of planning, you know, line up, raise your hand, uh, banks, the military. Those are all organizations that would be characterized as Earth organizations. Um, don't want to change what we're doing too much follow directions, things like that. So that's Earth. Airs are kind of the more, uh, the ones that uh, really enjoy competency. They judge what they see and the work of their employees as from a from a viewpoint of competency is the most important. In fact, they don't like dealing with the people too much. Uh, that uh, they, they would rather not have have to deal with 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 employees very much, so they can be perceived as aloof sometimes. Uh, you know, in the Big Bang Theory, it's the Sheldon character is the extreme uh, example of somebody who's just out of touch with social skills, but brilliant um, mm -hmm. as as a person. So we had Earth, we have Air, Fires. Fires are more fun-loving folks. They're the real troubleshooters. They enjoy kind of like Earth. They like uh, rules and regulations only so that they can go around them, find innovative, creative ways of uh, solving problems, uh, use, doing things differently every day. And sometimes this causes difficulty. If you're on earth and like your tradition and know what's gonna happen tomorrow, sometimes frustrating to have a leader who's a fire, who you never know what they're gonna do. They go off, you know, at the last minute there's a change and so everything gets changed. So earth, air, fire, Waters are your more people persons. These are leaders who um, every uh, uh, every kind of policy or rule or regulation, they look at it for its impact on the employees and on their people. They enjoy developing people. They're the ones that really enjoy going to training programs, holding training programs uh, for their folks, looking for ways of, uh, of uh, uh, advocating for their organization. Um, waters uh to a problem water sometimes have is of saying no mm -hmm. they have a hard time saying no so some of the employees who work for for uh for water uh leaders are sometimes frustrated because all of a sudden they have to work a weekend or a holiday because their leader uh, agreed to help out another division or something or take on extra work at the last minute and so they're they're the ones that have to do that to put in that that time sacrifice maybe some family time to get the job done. So we have earth, air, fire, water. So the whole idea is that we're all of us are dominant in one of those, uh, and uh, that means we view the world from that perspective, whether it's earth, air, fire, or water, whichever you feel you are uh, the most that most represents your view of the world and yourself, and. Whichever one is your shadow is the one that typically uh, may cause you some some problems. So that's kind of the model that we use, and um, certainly with our in our leadership courses, we would talk about the shadow and look at situations of how 
your shadow influences that. You know, you could have a dominant earth who is really doing, uh, from their perspective, a, a really good job uh, and following the rules exactly. And you might have a fire, uh, and, uh, a, a fire, a dominant fire who you work for that uh, can't stand the monotony of doing the same thing over and over the same way all, all the time. So we do a lot of interplay between all of those temperaments uh, through our workshop to try to, you know, our goal is to develop all of our uh, all of our temperaments, including our shadow temperament. We want people to use them uh, the most, more effectively. Uh, so that's kind of a thumbnail of what we do with that temperament. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, good to uh, kind of get a detailed description on each of those temperaments. And would people be able to read more about that on your website? I know there is a LinkedIn group that I'm linking in the show notes. That's a temperament leadership network. Would that there be a lot of reading materials on that LinkedIn group? Yes, we have um, uh, on that on the LinkedIn. That's more of a kind of a chat uh, mm -hmm. about issues around uh, leadership and temperament. Okay. Uh, we have it on Facebook as well. So we've got Facebook as well as LinkedIn groups. Um, We've got uh, we've got some videos on YouTube uh, channel uh, that uh, kind of describes the books in more detail and, and temperament in general. Um, uh, like like you mentioned, I've got five or six books on leadership and temperament on, on the website as well. Um, and they're a lot of fun. They're very uh, quick reads. Uh, they're trying to be as practical as possible, because if they're not practical uh, to me, that's what kind of bog people down and using other personality tests they just couldn't they got lost in all the minutiae of the 16 boxes or whatever it was so we tried to simplify things so people could remember it uh but yet our, our models are all complementary to all those other models as well we weren't trying to create something new we were just trying to kind of package it a little bit more and focus more than they do uh in general on the shadow temperament I'm interested in talking a little bit about how the temperament applies to work with the companies in Micronesia, for example. Um, I had one other uh, podcast guest, Jennifer Abrams, and she's worked a lot with international schools and some private uh, schools or American schools abroad. And um, how do you view your work with, um, you know, how the culture might be different in those countries and then applying these temperament principles? Yes, I did. Uh, I've done a uh, uh temperament workshops uh, all over the Pacific uh, from American Samoa to Republic of Palau and throughout Micronesia uh, as well, up in uh, Guam and Saipan. Um, they all understood the concept right away. They all, uh, and in our live workshops, we, we have small group discussions based on their dominant temperament. So they self-select themselves after kind of hearing much more about what each one is. Uh, and so we have them sit in circles in their tom in their dominant groups. So a circle of earths, a circle of airs, a circle of waters, a circle of fires, and give them some discussion questions. And, uh, and I had no problem with them getting into those groups. Nobody said, hey, I, this doesn't fit me, uh, you know, at all. So I was happy to hear that. Um, I think the, the challenge some of them have is when the culture, for an example, many island cultures uh, 
water, the water temperament is, is, is very highly valued. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you think about it, small islands, you don't want to have conflict, you know, because that would lead to a terrible life on a small island with only hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds and a few thousand, I should say, of people. So what I found was that although they're born with, let's say, a, a, an air temperament where they are uh, interested in really uh, information and, and data and competency, and they want to be competent themselves, what's valued usually in their village, in their home, in their work uh, is water of, of pleasing other people, helping other people uh, a lot. So what we found is that, and, and, it's, and it's like in the real world here, when we think about this model applying to scientists and engineers, um, you can operate and there's no job you can't do because of your temperament. It just means that you've got a bias inside for being competent in this example, but you can operate in a world of uh, a, a water world. You know, um, I'm doing a leadership quiz that's going to be coming out uh, soon so people can kind of test themselves and where they think uh, they are. And, you know, all you can be a, 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 a dominant fire, for an example, and not want to do things the same way, but you might get a job in a bank. And the bank is very, you know, structured rules, processes, procedures, follow the lines, you know, and fill out the forms. It's not that you can't do that as a fire, uh, a dominant fire. It's just that it may cause you a little bit more stress as you get into that and, and learn and learn how to do it, you may need, you know, more vacation or something to kind of deal with it, with that stress, but it doesn't mean you can't do it. You can do it. So it's, uh, it's not, the model is not used to uh, disqualify anybody from a job. It's just to be, have them more self-aware that why are you feeling stress? Or why are you feeling, you know, tired a lot? Could be because you are an Earth working in a water uh, uh, organization that takes, you know, and it's going to take you time to recover a little bit more than somebody else uh, who has a dominant uh, water. Yeah, that's interesting. How uh, you know, depending on where you live or the organization you work in, uh, sometimes your, you know, temperament you're born with isn't necessarily the temperament that you tend to have in the, in the workplace, so. Yeah. 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 Well, I know uh, as an example, the, the, the police department, you'd mm -hmm. think police, what do we need for police? Well, we need those, they probably need earths and we need fires. There's, there's rules, regulations, laws, et cetera, et cetera. But don't we need some water folks in there that uh, dominant waters who can, uh, you know, work well with with people and understand the plight of people that they work with i think we need all uh of uh, all those temperaments in uh, in every job that we have uh and certainly as a leader we want to develop all four of the temperaments so that we can be much more effective and sensitive in how we lead our organizations and and teams mm -hmm. yeah so i would um highly recommend um, leaders who are working with new teams or 
starting off the school year to check out some of those resources that I'll be linking in the show notes. Uh, out of everything we talked about, um, about temperament, about some of the places you've worked at, um, and just the leadership in general, uh, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? You know, I think for me, the whole idea that um, no matter where you are in your organization, uh, you can be a leader. Uh, that's one of the things that came out, especially in our many years working at NASA, that um, even at the lowest rung in your organization, you can exhibit leadership skills. And the first one is, be, to me, one of the most important is being self-aware. Whether you're looking at our temperament model or you're taking an MBTI test and trying to understand 16 boxes or you know reading more about it, uh, I think it's important to know that uh, you don't have to wait till you have that position power, that title mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to make you a leader or a manager. Wherever you sit, you can lead. And being self-aware of yourself and how you're reacting to those uh, around you uh, is uh, critical for success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great to remember. Well, where can people find you online? Uh, the best way is uh, on my website, which is uh, braddude.com. Uh, and I've got kind of links to all the books there that goes uh, mostly to Amazon. Yeah, right to Amazon, uh, as well as uh, ways of contacting for uh, uh, possible consulting or, or work like that. So uh, I uh, really enjoyed our time to, to chat about that. I hope people do contact me and take a look at some of our books, especially I'm really proud right now of that Finding Eden, the new uh, action adventure novel. I think people will get, get a kick out of that. And it shows leadership in an international uh, cross-cultural basis there too. And for teachers, would that be an appropriate resource maybe to uh, read at the middle school or high school level? Uh, Finding Eden? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably a little bit more uh, at the high school and, and mm -hmm. above a, a level, I would say, okay. uh, on it, uh, because we're dealing with the shipwreck and pirates and things like that uh, as well. Uh, but I think for teachers especially, I think some of our primers, uh, our earlier books on uh, dealing with the uh, uh, 42 ways, 40, I think one is called 40 ways of dealing with your, of figuring out your boss, 40 ways of fig figuring out your boss. Uh, and I'll go through uh, each one. Uh, if you have an earth boss, boss a, wire, a water boss, fire uh, or air a boss. So uh, I think teachers would, would get a kick out of the nonfiction, but I hope they also take a, ch a chance at the look at the fiction we have too. Mm -hmm. Great, great. Well, I hope people uh, connect with you and uh, find out a lot from those resources I'll have linked. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Dana. Appreciate it. Check out the show notes on danagoodyear.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC. Thank you.